Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Science and Society. I'm Drew, one of the hosts, a medical student at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. And in my free time, I'm a CrossFit coach and personal trainer. Hey, everyone. I'm Liv, your second host, the reigning Miss Illinois USA, and a PhD student at the University of Chicago's Biochemistry and Molecular Biophysics program. Though this podcast is brand new, Drew and I actually go way back to the fall of 2016. Fittingly, we met in a GemChem class as undergrads at Northwestern. It, very, very cute and uh, fitting for given where we are now. But actually, I think the first memory, like true memory I have of us meeting in any way, shape or form is is me and James getting our first chem quiz back and all turning and looking at each other and being like, what? What? No, this is a joke. Oh, man, we've come a long way, actually, since the GemChem days, because GemChem definitely put us through through a beating. But I think we had a pretty good step up when we became OrgoLab partners sophomore year. Yes, yes. A step up in both time spent devoted to science as well as time spent with each other, while whether it was doing those dreadful, dreadful lab reports or studying for one of these tests like the night after uh, like a bar night or formal or something. And yeah, it was it was a little of a whirlwind sophomore year. Hey, but, you know, for our listeners out there that don't know us personally, don't worry. We are so much more than just two two kiddos that like science. We believe strongly in the work hard, play hard. Drew and I actually were pledge husband and pledge wife in Northwestern. So we knew how to make things fun. And that is our goal with this podcast. Uh, I don't know, Drew, do you want to tell them? This is your baby, really. Do you want to tell them more about why we're doing this? Yeah, so uh, throughout like my last our last four years in college, I suppose. I was like kind of like the token pre-med sciencey person in my friend group. And whenever there'd be a question about, you know, somebody has, you know, a weird bruise that won't go away or something that I'm just completely unqualified to answer, I'd get the question anyway. And it would always be something sciencey or health related. And over the time, I got this idea of, wait, why don't I put together something and I didn't really know what it would be, but, you know, some type of resource or something that could bring these scientific topics from people who are more knowledgeable than myself and bring them into an everyday perspective and something that we could use in our everyday lives. That's when I approached Liv about this probably, what, probably in May? In May, uh, while we were caught in our quarantine together. Yes. And, you know, pitched the idea to her. I said, hey, what do you think about starting a podcast called Science and Society? And, you know, the rest is history. Watch some, watch some how-to videos and uh, have kind of been learning as we go. I feel like that's the mental version of giving yourself bangs during quarantine is starting a podcast. But I personally am actually very excited for this. I am the ultimate science nerd, always have been. So I'm really excited to talk about things that matter to the average person and to talk about it in a way that hopefully teaches them a little something. And who better to do it with than your science-loving boyfriend, right? I don't think there's a better way, to be honest. I mean, what is cuter than two nerds dating on a mission to break down the science in the world around us so that other people can apply it in their life? Not much, Liv. So for our very first episode, we obviously had to start with a topic near and dear to our hearts. 
personally, I would not have survived college without it. On today's episode, we are talking about caffeine. And let me tell you, most of it is pretty good news, you guys. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get after it. Today, we are joined by Dr. Craig Pickering. Craig is a former Olympic athlete, having competed for Great Britain in the 100 meter at the 2008 Olympic Games. In 2014, Craig was selected for the Great Britain bobsleigh team at the 2014 Winter Olympics, but suffered a career-ending injury just a week beforehand. Following his retirement, he worked as head of sports science at DNA Fit whilst getting his doctorate. In 2019, Craig started his current role as Athlete Pathways Manager at Athletics Australia. And you can find him on Twitter at Craig100M or 100Meter. Craig, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great that you could join us today. You know, as we said in the intro, uh, you were a former Olympian turned PhD. Could you fill our listeners in on how that came to be your path and journey to where you are today? Yeah, so I guess, well, in terms of being an Olympian, I was always, you know, I was quite quick. So when I went to school, I used to beat people on sports day. I used to beat people that were years older than me. And then, um, yeah, one day I just went to athletics club, won my first race by quite a long way, and then just carried on going from there. And then when I was um, still doing sport, I got a degree in sports science. And as I was doing that, I was thinking, well, this is really quite interesting. And then I guess there's things you notice as you're an athlete that you kind of think, well, I wish I knew a little bit more about that. And one of those areas for me was caffeine. So I used to take a lot of caffeine around competitions and so did my competitors and used to just kind of experiment with that. And then you'd notice, well, why does this happen to me and not somebody else? And so that became a bit of an interest of mine. And then when I retired from sport, I started working for a company called DNA Fit that do genetic testing. And so that sort of gave me a bit of interest in that area. So I just looked at it as, a, as a way to try and combine my interest in caffeine and some of the questions that I had from my experiences with. Um, I guess the lens of genetics, which is what led to my my doctorate, really. Awesome. So you always had an inclination to being curious about sports and, and the, the background of what you were doing. Were you always someone who considered yourself skilled at science, or is it something that you kind of, as a result of your curiosity, had to build that up? No, I, I think probably um, I've always definitely been interested in the various different areas of science, and probably like curious across the different. Um, discipline so you know not necessarily biologists but interested in physics and chemistry at school and seeing how those all interact together and then yeah when I guess I moved into um, my degree I was really interested in the molecular side of it and that kind of thing and I guess as you go through your degree you kind of you start to learn some tricks around the skill of science so conducting studies you know to think about the statistics um, I guess the context so although this is a report that it's found x or y has it actually really found that have they controlled for things properly and then when you then obviously progress into doing a doctorate that just becomes even more exploded so you just you understand the literature well basically you read everything that comes out so you understand all that you start to get an idea of the themes and then from my perspective I was really interested in just trying to think of outside the box a little bit so okay this is an area that I'm interested in but what knowledge can I pull from other areas to make my knowledge in this area better so do people in a different area think differently and if they do how can I use that to, to improve my process and my thought process around that so I guess it's probably something that just by being naturally curious and finding it interesting I've kind of got in, interested in over time and then as you get I guess further on the academic ladder it becomes more and more important. 
Cool. So as someone who is, um, I'm starting my doctorate in a couple months, so I don't know which rabbit hole of research I'm headed down just yet, but it looks like you've had a pretty well-developed academic background and discovery of, of caffeine, and especially in the sports context. What has been the most fascinating find to you then uh, on this journey that you've had with with caffeine and in its relationship to our bodies and especially in athletes bodies i guess probably like the whole concept of caffeine is interesting so in sport everybody knows caffeine improves performance right so we know that for certain because it used to be banned by the world anti-doping association until they just realized they couldn't really police that because you know, caffeine's ubiquitous in society so it's quite hard to sort of make athletes jump through these holes or hoops sorry and then so if we know caffeine improves performance that's a given now and yet we there's still research that goes on that just says oh look this this might caffeine improve performance so I, I actually find that that interesting like we know it improves performance but we don't need to do any more research on that what's been interesting for me is thinking well what's the context of using this caffeine for performance like how does it change between people with their um, different genetic variants? What about if you believe you've taken caffeine but you actually haven't, your performance still improves almost as much as if you take caffeine itself. So that's important. And so if you're a nutritionist or a dietitian or an athlete, how can you, I guess, harness that information to improve your performance? And that can be really important because for some people, caffeine has side effects, negative side effects. But if they think they've taken caffeine but they haven't and their performance still improves, they can get that performance improvement without those side effects. So it's kind of like areas like that I'm much more interested in. Um, and it's been like really interesting to think, well, how does, how we use caffeine affect what happens the next day, for example. So if you've got two days of competition, you take a lot of caffeine on the first day, is your performance better or worse the next day? Or does it matter at all? I actually don't know the answers to those questions. So probably the more interesting thing is thinking, well, what, do what questions have we got that are unanswered at present and how might we go about answering them? And if we can answer them, what does that mean for people um, in this area? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, going back to uh, what you said about the like, the placebo effect and how it impacts people differently. I know that personally as like a, as a student, it, you know, I've taken caffeine in the form of like coffee prior to exams or just in the morning to, you know, help you get through the day sometimes. Uh, It improves maybe your mental acuity, lifts that morning fog, if you will. Is there um, effects not just in sport, but also in everyday life for, you know, the the average person? Yeah, I think it's something like six billion cups of coffee are consumed on a daily basis. So most people in the world consume caffeine in some form. So, I mean, based on that alone, yeah, we can guess that um, it probably has some effects, at least small effects for non-athletes um so yeah probably the the main things it does is it just reduces the sensation of sleepiness like you said so how caffeine predominantly works is it kind of it competes with something called adenosine and adenosine makes us feel tired and sleepy so during the day adenosine accumulates in our in our brains and when we go to sleep at night we kind of clean clean out of there but when we don't get enough sleep the adenosine kind of stays there just when way you wake up you sort of feel a little bit um groggy still so caffeine just kind of, instead of adenosine binding with its receptor, caffeine does instead, which is why it makes you feel a little bit more alert. So from that, yeah, from that perspective, it just basically, if we're all kind of going around sleep deprived, which we generally are in modern society, it just makes us feel a little bit better. Um, it has, it reduces your feelings of pain and things like that, which can be 
quite useful, which is why it's often found alongside medication like cold, cold, cold and flu medication. It can improve your mood a little bit as well. So yeah, there's definitely kind of wider, um, important aspects for, for non-athletes really. So even if you like, you think that you're taking it, but you might not be and still derive the effects from it for people that have are prone to anxiety, for example, um, and if they are, you know, drinking coffee before a pitch, a presentation, whatever it may be, could some placebo maybe be used to, you know, improve their performance while not rendering them as susceptible to like, not necessarily a full blown anxiety attack, but just increased anxiety during that um, time of performance, whether it be even uh, an athlete as well. What's the research say on that? Yeah, it's probably it's complex. So I guess the placebo effect is reduced if you know you've taken the placebo. So if you it doesn't doesn't disappear, it still exists, but it's much smaller. So if you're tr- kind of tricking yourself to think that you've taken caffeine or coffee, but you haven't, the effect's going to be smaller. It might disappear completely. It's much better if you kind of erroneously think you've taken caffeine when you haven't. So somebody's giving it to you and saying that. Um, I guess secondly, if you think when you take caffeine or coffee and you associate that with being anxious, actually just having the placebo might make you anxious in the, in the, in the second instance there, which is important to keep in mind. But yeah, from, um, from an athletics perspective or a sporting perspective, because caffeine has a, a bitter taste, you can sort of taste that and you think, okay, I've taken caffeine. So if you give people a bit of solution and they think, okay, I've taken caffeine before and it's improved my performance, and now I think I've taken caffeine again, they do seem to show quite a large performance improvement. Conversely, if you give people caffeine, but tell them they haven't taken caffeine, then their performance is smaller than if they know they've taken it. So there definitely is like a crossover there. And you don't even have to consume it. I mean, even if you just brew a cup of coffee in your room, people that smell that cup of coffee, often they see improvements in alertness as well. Because just being around it sometimes has, gives the placebo effect as well. I can definitely attest to the smell of coffee improving my performance, hands down. <laughs> You know, at the, so at the end of the day, caffeine is a drug. Uh, I mean, it's a stimulant and it affects our body. I think some people even classify it as a psychoactive drug, which is pretty crazy. I, I'm fascinated by the fact that it used to be banned. Do you think it should be? Like, let's say we had a way to police this because, you know, there's so many controversies that come out with athletes taking different types of substances to improve performance, whether it be just that day or kind of over the long term. But, I mean, the same thing is rampant in colleges. I don't know how it is in Australia, but, I mean, in the U.S., students are drinking caffeine, energy drinks, taking performance-enhancing drugs for their study sessions even. And there are certain things that are very taboo. I mean, if you told somebody you had taken some sort of pill or drug to help you study better, they're going to give you crazy eyes. But if you look at them and tell them that you've had three cups of coffee this morning, they won't look at you the same way. So do you think we should be regulating it or has it become so normal in our society that it's just never going to happen? Yeah, I don't think it will happen. So I think if somebody invented caffeine today and brought it to the market, it'd be heavily regulated, at least initially whilst they've got safety data. But I think similar to alcohol, I suppose, which is that because it's just so norm, normal and accepted in our society, it's never going to go away. But again, if somebody invented alcohol, you'd probably say, well, why, why would we allow people to have this in a reasonably unregulated format? I mean, with caffeine, the evidence is actually pretty good that just normal amounts of caffeine intake are actually potentially positive for health. It's actually beneficial for health. There's obviously loads of confounders around that, but it's not necessarily um, you know, a bad thing for you. 
you can die if you take too much caffeine, but it's quite hard to, to do that. I mean, we're talking about a gram of caffeine, which is in some cases like four liters of energy drink all taken at once, which some people could do, but it'd be hard, harder to do. So I think, yeah, from the safety aspect of it for normal people, um, it's probably not worth buying because there probably is you know, potentially some benefit around that. And then you have to think, well, what's the knock-on effect if we just take away people's cups of coffee? Well, we see increases in traffic accidents in the morning, things like that, because of how reliant we've become on it. I think from a sporting side, there's sort of different criteria that um, the World Anti-Doping Authority use when it comes to um, deciding whether something should be banned or not. So the first is kind of like, well, is it dangerous to the athlete? Like, is, it, is it unsafe? And again, from a caffeine perspective, probably not. I mean, like I said, there can, there can be things that go wrong if you take a lot of it, but people don't really do that too much. Um, and the effects, the negative side effects of caffeine are very transient, so they just go away as caffeine's metabolized. So you may feel a little bit unwell or something for a couple of hours, but then that disappears. The second of those is kind of like, well, is it against the spirit of the sport? This is probably where caffeine's a bit of a gray area because arguably if I take caffeine and somebody else doesn't, I've got an advantage over them about that. Um, but that's, you can use that argument for loads of things. Like you could say, well, if you're, if you're a rower, for example, and you're from a country that can afford better boats, you're probably going to win. And so, but we won't ban those boats, for example, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's definitely a gray area within sport. When it was banned previously, it was banned at very high doses. So I think it was fewer than like 0.5% of urine samples came back with the, with a high dose um, of caffeine to be banned. So actually in effect, very few people got banned for caffeine because you have to take so much. So yeah, I mean, I guess, like I said, if somebody invented caffeine today, it probably would be banned or at least heavily regulated. But because it was just so used to it, it's so ingrained in society, it's probably hard to go back and change that. I would be fascinated to see what the world of college looks like if we were to ban caffeine in, in students or even in, in the average working adult. I think we would see productivity go, go pretty far down for a while. It'd be a scary, tired place. <laughs> so... You say that the potential side effects or, or negative effects of caffeine are, are mostly transient. So when someone says that they have a caffeine addiction or have a dependency, um, I, I love my morning coffee as much as the next person. Is it necessarily a bad thing then? Are there any long-term effects that people should be concerned about if they are a regular coffee drinker? Yeah, it probably depends on the total amount of coffee that of caffeine that people consume. So, and again, like the because there's so many sort of confounders in this in the research that come into this it's difficult to sort of give a complete accurate guide but in general most of sort of suggest that if you drink between one and sort of five or six cups of coffee a day that's almost certainly not negative for most people that don't have an underlying health issue so for them that's kind of i guess free reign and some studies even suggest that there can be more cups of coffee than that like up to 10 um so we don't know the higher end necessarily what you sort of touched on there a little bit is, I guess, the dependency on caffeine. And that actually, that's a very real thing. So in sport, that's called habituation, whereby you take caffeine um, and you get a gradually smaller beneficial effect for the same amount of caffeine over time, which means that you either have to take more or just accept they're going to have um, smaller performance improvements. That comes back if you just stop taking caffeine for a, a reasonably short period of time, two or three weeks, you kind of um, get that um, go those receptors back to the normal level where you just need the normal amount of caffeine again. And there's not necessarily anything negative from being habituated to caffeine either, apart from just needing more to get going. Um, so yeah, I mean, because of caffeine is reasonably safe, well, almost very safe, there's no negative 
unless you've got something wrong with you, like underlying, there's no downside to having sort of coughing on a regular, reasonably regular basis, as far as I'm aware. So, yeah, there's no there's no real negative side effects or downside from having an, an addiction, provided it's not like a proper addiction where you're having 20 or 30 cups of coffee a day. That explains how I would go from gradually increasing my coffee intake over the ter- like over a term and then finals week have a ton of coffee and then I have you know a week off for holiday or whatever and I come back and it's like the tolerance I had built up is just gone so that that, that, that would explain that uh, I know people that will be listening to this can't see but I'm smiling ear to ear right now to hear that caffeine is relatively safe that habituation is not necessarily bad I think this is some of the best news I've heard in a very long time so thank you for <laughs> for sharing that because I think it gets a pretty bad rep sometimes uh, I mean I know energy drinks people have some problems with and there have definitely been times where drinking coffee probably was not the best choice I know having like an evening dinner coffee with my parents at times has kept me up all night have you ever learned anything or read anything about how caffeine's impact on sleep might be problematic for people yeah it definitely is problematic for people but it differs between people so we tend to see that like some people can have caffeine late at night and it doesn't affect their sleep at all some people can have caffeine late at night and they think it doesn't affect their sleep, but it actually does. And then some people have caffeine late at night. So I'm like you, if I had coffee after 5 p.m., I would be awake and wouldn't be able to sleep at all. So it's definitely something to be aware of. And it's probably something that um, more people should be aware of it. So yeah, you ideally don't want to be going to bed with much caffeine in your bloodstream at all because it will keep you awake. And even if you don't think it does, it's probably reducing your quality of sleep. A little bit so caffeine's half-life is about is between three and four hours so if you had let's say a cup of coffee at 5 p.m of 100 milligrams of caffeine you still have 550 milligrams in your bloodstream at 8 p.m and you still have 25 milligrams at midnight and 25 milligrams is not much caffeine but it's you know potentially enough to to keep you awake a little bit so yeah definitely i suggest most people should probably load their caffeine earlier in the day and then just if they need to top it up um, do so kind of in the middle of the afternoon and try and avoid it where possible later in the day. It does, it does, it has the ability to completely destroy your quality of sleep. That's good to know. That's definitely good to know. Um, that being said, what is your favorite, what's your go-to cup of Joe? Is it hot coffee, light, medium, dark roast? Are you an iced coffee drinker, cold brew? How do you prepare? Do you get your own French press? Are you doing a Keurig pour over? Yeah. I mean, I've got a, I never drank, I didn't drink coffee until I retired from sport. So I was 28, I had my first cup of coffee. In fact, I used to hate it. And then one of my best friends for athletics was really into coffee. So just by being around him, I kind of got exposed to different ways of doing it. I will say that I can't really tell the difference between quality and non-quality. I've used various different methods. Uh, I have like a pour over Hario filter here, which I use. I've got a coffee machine here. I've got Nespresso pods, that kind of thing. So I've got loads of different ways to do it. To me, they're all one and the same, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, although I sort of, I appreciate the effects of caffeine and coffee's a nice way to get it. For me, I'm not refined enough to know the difference between them. <laughs> well, I wish I didn't have, I wish I had that same, same uh, quality because there's some coffee, if it's like really bad, it'll give me like heartburn. So it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> With all the love and respect in the world, Drew is very pretentious about coffee. I think I fall somewhere in between. I, I fall somewhere in between where sometimes I'm just so desperate for the coffee. I don't care where it came from, but 
I do like to pretend I'm refined. I think refined is the the word of choice. So I have to ask one more question. If you weren't drinking coffee then while you were in sport, what was the choice of, of caffeine? Is it just the energy drinks or? Yeah, I actually experimented with various different things. So energy drinks were the easiest way to do that because it enabled me to, well, hydrate. So I used to have maybe like half a litre of energy drink in the 90 minutes before I competed. So that was a good way to get liquid in there. And then as I got a little bit older, I was trying different things. I used to get caffeinated energy gels. So like a carbohydrate gel that had caffeine in there. And then, yeah, even towards the end of my career, I had caffeinated chewing gum. So that's, it's absorbed much quicker. So it takes about 10 minutes to get absorbed. Whereas um, energy drinks and tablets are probably closer to an hour. So yeah, I was, uh, I was experimenting with caffeine gum as well um, towards the end of my career. So diff- different um, methods as I guess I evolved. I did not know caffeinated gum existed at all and uh i hope <laughs> i hope most people don't use that otherwise i have been living in denial most of my life no it's quite new so it was developed by the u.s military as a way to sort of get a rapid uh caffeine hit to i guess soldiers when they're fatigued overnight or going on even operations um there's even a caffeinated nasal spray now which so that's that's the next step on that Wow, if you if you replaced caffeine with any other substance in this conversation, this would sound absolutely crazy. Craig, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciated the the time, and we I I could say I learned a lot for sure. No, no, no problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Wow, wow. Uh, what? What? Live? What? 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 I could talk about caffeine for for hours, I think. I could just talk to you about caffeine while having caffeine uh, in the middle of a... Lecture on caffeine. Yeah, caffeineception. Honestly, I'm surprised we don't we don't learn about it. I feel like because it's so normal, we we never actually study caffeine. You know, we learn about all these other neurotransmitters. I mean, it's not a neurotransmitter, but we learn about neurotransmitters. We learn about drugs that affect our brains. We learn about all these crazy, like highly regulated substances. And we never actually learn about caffeine and and whether it's good or bad for us. No, I think the first time I actually ever heard caffeine mentioned in lecture was a lecture on circadian rhythms in one of like the last neuro classes I ever had to take. Like what? And I had no idea that it was pretty safe. I kind of operate under the assumption, obviously there's a limit to everything, but I kind of operate under the assumption that, you know, my, my monster before a physics exam was a pretty bad idea. So. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, I did too. I thought it was safe in like small doses. That was always my impression. Like as long as you were able to keep it to like a cup a day. So like a hundred milligrams, then you should be fine. But some of his research showed like the effects of 1.5 to like four milligrams per pound body weight. That's like, for me, several hundred milligrams of caffeine is like, is like the effects, like where the effects are seen in a lot of the research. So I'm having like one, maybe two cups of coffee a day tops. I could be having like three or four if I really wanted to. (laughs) Okay. First of all, just totally off the caffeine track have you did you ever think that someone could speak about being an olympic athlete and being that good at something so nonchalantly no absolutely not i was blown i was blown away (laughs) i'm sitting here as one of the least athletic people in the entire world i mean thank god i i found science because sports were definitely never 
uh, in my trajectory, but the fact that someone could come to the highest level of athleticism and then also get a doctorate and be so knowledgeable about something that's so complex is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, so nonchalant. I'm right there with you. Like, I I would say I'm the most athletic person by any stretch of anyone's imagination. And I, like any chance of professional sports, those went out the window when I struck out four times in a t-ball game when I was five years old. So I, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think it was in the cards for me either. Um, but the, the, seriously, the humility and nonchalantness at which he just spoke about what he's done is it's commendable. I, I agree. Yeah. And on top of that, I was blown away by how generally positive the impacts of caffeine are on our bodies. Most of us, I think, take for granted that it's pretty harmless because we, we all kind of, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenon in society. I think about Dunkin' Donuts, their whole slogan is America runs on Dunkin'. I mean, we glorify caffeine essentially as, as what keeps the world as we know it going. For us to kind of just be able to, to do that and, and realize that there aren't any really serious negative impacts for most people is pretty cool. I think that's pretty lucky. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said during the interview, if we would replace caffeine with any pretty much any other substance, people would be like, what the heck? Like either like you're crazy or you're weird or something. But just like what speaks to that is like I was having, I would have this conversation with one of my friends actually pretty often. And he'd say like, you know, my cup of coffee in the morning, you know, even if I'm getting like a Starbucks or a Dunkin' or, you know, I'm, I'm spending a couple bucks on a cup of coffee in the morning. Like I I see it as like an investment in my own productivity. Whoa. And that's, that was like when the first time he said it to me, I was like, what? Wow. Like that's, I never thought of it that way, but actually I am probably, I'd say t- realistically 15 to 25% more productive for like the three hours during and after which I have a cup of coffee. That was the most true thing you've ever done right there was to put numbers and estimation of percentage (laughs) of how much caffeine increases your productivity. But the question I have after all this is how much longer are we going to have to wait before we can find caffeine infused gum at like our local Jewel Osco? I, I mean, I could see it going south very quickly. Don't get me wrong, but it's a crazy concept and I can't believe no one's thought of it sooner. I'm, I I don't know. I'm speechless. I don't have an answer for you there. It reminds me of nicotine gum, right? Which is used to, to treat people with cigarette addiction. So the gum is solving a problem. I feel like caffeine gum might actually create some problems. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. If it goes. Yeah, absolutely. For the sake of everybody's well-being and the risk of not having an entire gram of caffeine at once and doing actual harm to yourself i hope that that day comes a little bit later yeah official official recommendation by our podcast is stay away from the chewable caffeine and stick to the good old good old-fashioned cup of coffee agreed so i think that is all for this week's episode don't forget you can follow us on instagram at science in society to catch our new releases upcoming topics and our science shenanigans Be sure to tune in to episode two coming out on August 24th. Peace, love, and science.